For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in the newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. Joining us today is Camilla Simpson, Senior Product Specialist here at Amplify and longtime middle school practitioner. During our conversation in this episode, we're focusing exclusively on the topic of middle school with emphasis on what core instruction should look like. While we know there is and always will be a need for intervention, we don't spend enough time talking about a healthy ELA core for middle school and what middle school students need to make that strong transition into the demands of high school. Well, hello, Camilla. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Thank you, Susan, so much for having me. It is great to be here. Well, you, you as a listener, always know that we like to start each episode by having our guests tell a little bit about themselves, and this episode is particularly geared toward middle school, so maybe a little bit about how you got so deeply interested in middle school. Absolutely. And of course, it is uh, one of my favorite topics. Yay! (laughs) I know, I'm excited. Uh, I am a senior product specialist for literacy and just um, all of those amazing things. But my journey really started um, as an intensive reading middle school teacher many, many years ago. And it was one of the uh, toughest teaching years of my career, but it is also one of the most fulfilling that I had. Um, the school that I started at was a uh, Title I school. We're talking about 90% plus free and reduced lunch. Um, and it was just amazing to see the need for literacy and structure at the middle school level and how to prepare students all the way into high school. I taught there for quite a few years, spent some time as an instructional coach uh, there as well. And I really realized that middle school just held a special place in my heart. Teaching sixth, seventh, um, eighth grade, that entire section of just a lot happening in their lives, just I gravitated towards that. Um, And so I decided to go back into the classroom. I actually went and taught um, language arts and looking at the core and this time I spent time teaching at a, um, what I guess you would consider predominantly high-performing school. So very okay. different, very mm-hmm. different. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spent time there and looking at core curriculum and bringing in that experience from um, 
students needing support, I started to notice a few trends as well as areas where I could really help all types of teachers. So back into coaching, I go. Um, I spent <laughs> time at a magnet school, which was amazing because it just ironically bridged both of my previous um, experiences together. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just fortunate to really spend time um, advancing. I'm, I'm really big on advancing and stretching the next generation. That is just a huge, important movement for me. And it's so great. However, it does mean I have to move outside of my comfort zone into the comfort zone of the next generation, right? Um, what's amazing is I know I'm not alone in that. And there are just so many educators across the country that I'm very fortunate to work with um, coaching educators. I've spent time content writing for middle school as well and really diving into how do we create rigorous lessons, strong scaffolds that embody and support all of um, our learners in their core curriculum. So these are just some passions that I have that is really led me to stay in this space of middle school. Um, And then when I'm working with educators, it is always great to to learn something new, but always bring those moments to them because I know they're taking them directly into their classrooms. And this is going into the hands of students. So it's always really, really exciting. Mm, That's great. Let me ask you a question because not everybody gets energized by middle school students. So what was it about the students either at either experiences or any of your experiences that really, really captured your heart? I think what captured my heart was, especially that very first year, no kid wanted to come to the reading teacher. And so (laughs) it was selling. It was like not just selling myself, it was selling the joy of reading and selling to them the possibilities that they can have and how much I love reading doesn't matter if they don't walk away loving some portion of this. And so that was always the joy at the beginning of the year, whether it was in my intensive classes, my core classes, how am I going to sell the love of literature that I have to them and and win them over? So it was just this little game that I almost played (laughs) um, internally, but it was great to see those moments when it may not have been the very first text at the beginning of the year. could have been, you know, in the middle of the year, but one by one, I could see myself winning them over. And that was exciting. No, that's great. It sounds like your experiences, you know, and, and all, all of the spectrum here when we're talking about middle school um, are really going to help our listeners. And I'm super excited to start diving in to, to tap into your experience. So let's get going with, you know, this is science of reading podcast. We've done a lot of work and what it takes to develop proficient readers. We've talked a lot about the simple view of reading Scarborough's wrote. Um, and really that's largely in the K-5 context. So like if all goes well on that journey, we're talking about the other end of Scarborough's rope where things are woven tightly together. What does reading instruction look like in middle school or should it look like in middle school if we've put into place all of those elements in that journey? Oh, that is such a great question. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, looking at Scarsborough's rope and um, when those strands tighten and strategic, becoming increasingly strategic, um, how do we do that? 
really honing in on opportunities that allow students to really build on their content knowledge. Um, giving them opportunities to explore great topics, ideas, having a real reciprocal approach with things like vocabulary that they're going to encounter, um, complex texts for students. I really think a lot of those things lean on what are the texts that students will actually be exposed to within uh, their curriculum. So when I think about that, I also think about having all of those things integrated. That's the power. Students are able to make those connections um, and, and really dive into their content. We talked a lot on, on the pre-call, too, about all of those different activities and opportunities when it comes to reading, writing, speaking, listening, right? Like, so, so what does that look like for the students in terms of what they're doing? Oh my goodness. So when students are reading, for example, you know, students are really having an opportunity to look at the text in a variety of different ways and for a variety of different things. It's not something that they are going to just look at once and put down and say, I have it all. Um, what they're writing, they're writing about the things they've discovered in their reading, not the things that I've necessarily told them as a teacher, but these were their moments that they get to actually put in in a space and, and share. They're having really rich discussions. Um, it's amazing when I can walk into a core class and it looks like a book club. I absolutely love it. That's when you know, yep, it's happening. Um, so these are some really exciting moments that I look at in core curriculum. And then what about the place uh, um, or how, what does like grammar fit in? And, you know, I know people ask me about that all the time. How do these, you know, word study strategies, all that, how does that fit into this? To this oh my goodness. Um, I think it's really powerful, I would say, at point of use. So I remember, and I would tell people, I would do Grammar Wednesdays. And I tell you, my kids were not the happiest. <laughs> <laughs> but when you know better, you do better. Right. Um, and so having moments where it's integrated and there's a purpose and it ties directly into what you've been reading and now you can apply it immediately, that is powerful. And so having an integration of these, finding those moments in the text where I know that my students here's something we can make some connections with. And then it also shifts the conversation that I'm going to have with my students. Instead of kind of saying, eventually, I want you to um, add in some compound sentences, if you will. I'm challenging you to add in mm -hmm. some compound sentences. We've created this space where I can challenge you to do that. Mm -hmm. And then um, just one more question about that, because, you know, where we talk about like the text being the center. You said something about the text being the center of all of this. How does, how should uh, a text that we've chosen, how should that function in our ELA class, classrooms um, in those middle school years? Wow. Um, one text selection is absolutely critical and, and really important. Um, and it should function at the center, yes, but how do you make that happen? Uh, you want something that is truly uh, more so informative. You want it to be something where students actually spend time um, uncovering the different layers within the text. So that's when we talk about complex text and rigor. We really want to see those layers unfold 
um, in a piece of text. And we want it to be something that isn't necessarily directly on that student's level, right? We want there to be a challenge. We want that discovery to happen. Hmm. And um, we're going to we're gonna talk in a, in a little bit about, okay, what happens when kids aren't able to do that work independently. Um, but before we get there, I know you have a pretty big passion for making sure that students are doing and having the cognitive load. Like, so students are actually doing the work of that. You mentioned, like, even if it's a, a little bit harder than what they can do, why is that so important to you when you talk about uh, the work of a, a, a middle school classroom? It's so important to me because this is the transition or the time where they're becoming or expected to become more independent. And so they have to do the work. We have to allow them to struggle to do the work. We're going to provide the supports. It's not going to be the easiest thing, but we want them to actually take ownership of what they're doing. And so it's really important for students to have the time to, to dive in, to struggle, and to really grapple with the text. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we're going to jump to, okay, well, what about when kids aren't prepared for that? What about when there are gaps in terms of their skills um, and they aren't able to necessarily do grade level work independently? What should teachers be thinking about when it relates to that? Teachers should be thinking about how do I prepare or scaffold my students' core mm-hmm. for them? And that's something that may be different. So not necessarily how do I give them less, but how do I scaffold? I still want to give them exposure to the core, but how do I support those areas that they may need? There's a lot that students are saying um, when we think about what they they can't do or they need support in doing, there's also a lot they're saying that they can do. And mm-hmm. so maybe we want to spend some time noticing and pulling out those items because there are things they can do. And those are the things that we want to build on while we continue to work on the other items. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, that I'm a real proponent of all kids need access to the core. And if they need intervention outside of that, that's additional intervention time. Um, but but talk to me a little bit about what that would look like in practice, right? Like in core instruction, how do you actually scaffold and support kids? Can you give an example? Absolutely. So in core instruction, when looking at the text, um, there are some scaffolds, like I want my students to have discussions, right? I want them to talk to each other. A scaffold and a great support is I'm going to give my students some sentence starters. I'm going to allow them an opportunity to be a part of this discussion. Um, and here's something that will help. Another is being very mindful of how much I'm asking them to do all at one time. And so the scaffold starts with just if we're highlighting and annotating, just tell me what you noticed before we even do that, before we even get to text, tell me some Mm -hmm. things that you're noticing and let's have a discussion around that. And then we can build into the text itself, but let's have some more discussions. Let's have dialogue. Um, And then let's even take that a step further and say, let's take a moment to actually write about some of these things. And yet again, 
Let's go back to having discussions. These are really strong moments when students are struggling readers to have that dialogue and discussion and know that it doesn't have to be the correct answer every time. I can change my answer. And I can also know that I have the support of the text. I can go back in the text and find things to support what I'm thinking. Hmm. We were also talking in the, in the pre-call a little bit about, um, you know, the, the interactions that kids can have once they get the ideas of the text or the thoughts that they have, how they can develop critical thinking. And how does that fit in here, too? In order to prepare them for high school, I remember that's what we were talking oh, about, yeah. right? Like middle school is this thing that sits between, oh, hey, you're elementary school. We're going to give you, you know, lots of support. And in high school, we're like, no, you're like on your own. Yeah, on your own. So uh, I think that that's a really great point. Yeah. How do students kind of prepare for the next step? Um, and a big part of that are the activities that they have access to within the classroom setting, um, the discovery that they're doing. I go back to the type of text that they're being exposed to as well, um, more informational pieces, allowing them opportunities to see a variety of those and to actually mesh some of those together. Like students working with multiple texts is also going to be another area of strong support. Mm-hmm. What would you say? So, I know listeners out there right, are thinking, okay, well, this is all great. And we're talking about text and, and reading text. My kids, some of my kids can't even decode or read texts that are you know, a couple grade levels below. Is it okay for them to listen to text um, and then engage in the activities? What's your point of view on, on how to provide that kind of support? Uh, absolutely. Yes. That is a hard yes for me for them to listen <laughs> to text. Um, and I say that because when I started uh, teaching, it was I was trying to grab as many audio um, CDs. Oh, oh my goodness. Give, yes. Yeah. <laughs> As many CDs as possible for my students to listen to text. And it goes back to their listening comprehension. They're still, there's it's stronger than their reading comprehension, right? And so if my student is still struggling in that area, they can listen. They can have really rich and great conversations. And so I want that to happen. So one, they're a part of the classroom and what's happening. And then they're going to put their thoughts on paper. And whether it looks shiny and pretty or it needs quite a bit of work, I'm seeing this conversation happening. I get an idea of what they're thinking in the classroom and I can build on that. There's something my students telling me, even when there are areas that they need support in. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it took a little bit of time for this to be an aha for me, even when I was a classroom teacher, about allowing my students to actually access the text through audio recordings. Um, because I really feel like part of our job is not just helping them read the words on page, but then that strategic thinking that you were talking about at the beginning. Like, how can we help them interact with that text in a strategic way? And I'm sure you've seen some great examples of that, that you've provided scaffold for either the kids in your classroom or like others that you see now. Absolutely. Um, And I have seen 
so many educators uh, across the country do exactly what you've mentioned, you know, that strategic um, thinking process. And uh, when students are highlighting and um, they're making their annotations, asking, well, tell me more about that. Why did you make that selection? Um, it, it goes much deeper than saying, show me your evidence. But mm-hmm. asking that why question can really open up just a world of possibilities and conversations that can happen in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Um, so what about this, this idea of scaffolding? Because sometimes I think as teachers, we really want to structure our in- instruction, right? So that we give support. But I also know that there's this danger that we over scaffold and are not allowing them to become independent learners. And, and what does that look like in middle school? So what does it look like when we over scaffold or maybe a better, that's a good, maybe a better way to say that is how, like how, what's your point of view on scaffolding versus over scaffolding Ah, or support versus over scaffolding? Yeah. Yes, I I do agree. Inherently, I think we we all want to support and end up over supporting uh, sometimes and so we want students to have productive struggle. It is okay. When looking at a lesson or a sequence um, or a series of lessons, really teachers want to think about how much is too much information that I'm giving my students. What will they be left with discovering if I provide them with this bit of information? Um, and to tell you a really interesting and great stories, working with a teacher and I go into the classroom. It's in the middle of the day. He's already taught half the class and he was amazing. He was so proud. He'd found all these great videos and information for the students and he shared them. Uh, He told them everything that they were going to read about and he he did an amazing job. And I just said to him, you know, I really want to challenge you to not give any of this information to your students at the for the second half of the day. So when you see these next group of students, don't tell them anything, don't give them any information. And I'm curious to know, what does the level of engagement look like between your class at the beginning of the day and your classes at the end of the day? What did they discover? Because sometimes when we give too much information and we can see this happen and then we can know, okay, I did over scaffold, is students just tell us what we wanna hear, They don't necessarily discover anything new. Um, And we feel as if, well, they're not getting it. And so productive struggle is okay. Really think about those things going through a lesson. How much is too much? And if I provide this bit of information, what will my students be left with? What are they going to discover? And if it's nothing, then I probably don't want to provide that. Mm, that's great. So, you know, we say, do they have enough background knowledge to be able to engage in the, t- this, the text and discussions and vocabulary and all that? But what you're saying is, hmm, maybe they need to gain that background knowledge as opposed to you giving them that background knowledge. Yes. And, you know, a great way to garner what their, their background knowledge may be on something are images. That's mm. a really great way to introduce a topic without giving too much. Oh, tell Just me more. present an image. Yeah. Present an image and say, tell me what you notice. That's one of my favorite things to, to ask students yeah. because it's really open. What do you notice? 
Or another is, what did you find interesting about this image? And so that one's a little, you know, because they're middle schoolers and they're going to say nothing. Um, yeah. But we want to deeper. So we yeah. may go back to tell me what you noticed yeah. um, within the image and just give them time to list and share out all of those things because that'll give you some um, indication. What do they know already? Or what are some things I can start to build on in questions I can form without giving them tons of information? Hmm. So I got to go back to then the teacher that you were, you were coaching or challenged actually to do afternoon class different than the morning class. Did you ever follow up and find out what happened with that or weren't you able to? So night and day, of course, the students have tons of questions and things to, to write about in the afternoon and not to say they didn't in the morning, but the depth that students were producing in the afternoon is different because this was their discovery. They had ownership over this and it's okay to allow, you know, I want my students to go home and and do a search on the internet for the topic we're talking about in class. It's not going to steal my thunder. That's what I want them to do versus coming to class and waiting for me to give them more information. Um, and so sometimes you have to be okay with that as well, but it was very different. Mm-hmm. From the class in the morning, the classes in the morning to those classes in the afternoon. That's amazing. And I think sometimes too, it's, um, it, you know, teachers, it's, it's okay if your students come back and teach you something that you didn't know. You don't have to have all the answers, right? <laughs> exactly. I would love when my students did that. I love when they met me at the door um, and they said, well, I had a conversation with my parents about this last night. Yes, you were talking about literature at home. <laughs> this is exciting. That's what I want to happen. I have, I've won the day over the other subject areas and I'm going to take that. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to have those moments. They're discovering something. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, you talked to me again in our pre-call a little bit about the importance of that, particularly in middle school, um, as they, they move through, because like what happens in high school then? Why do why do we need to develop these these skills in in kids in middle school? I mean, statistically, we've seen it. We know that there is a very high dropout rate in high school for students that are not considered on grade level readers. And so what do we do to support our students that we know they're not on grade level? How do we support them? We provide them with the abilities to actually do like analytic reading. We provide them with those strategies or those those skills, those steps, those moments. And it's not, you know, something that's there's going to be a line item every single step of the way, but we want them to be comfortable with analyzing the text and asking questions and sharing what they've noticed. Um, because when they get to high school, it's a very different ballgame. Mm-hmm. And I am going to ask you one more time, and then we're going to move on to another topic. But um, for you as as maybe as an observer now, right, like as as a consultant and and as a coach to folks across the country, how do you see people balancing, right, this really strong core instruction and that really prepares uh, students to be independent in that, um, as well as like the intervention that they need, right? How, how do you see people balancing this? Really great question. Um, it it can vary. I do see a variety of things happening. I see at the middle school level where they just have a completely separate 
intervention block in time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I've also seen extensions in the instructional day. One of my favorites is that there, there are moments where we're actually going to pause in between the curriculum, if you will. Um, And so we're going to keep teaching. We're going to keep going through this process, but I'm actually going to stop and see how you're doing. Let's assess what's been happening so far and what are the supports that you need. And then we're going to get right back on it and we're going to keep going through our core. Um, That's one really important thing for students to also see that we're going to keep moving. This is happening. You are going to high school. We, we want to get you ready. And here are the areas of support. And then for my students that need, let's say, tier three support, we do have those for them as well, but it is not going to overpower the core. Mm-hmm. Or replace the core, right? Or replace, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for middle school kids, writing is really important. And you have a particular passion for that. Let's talk a little bit about middle school and writing. Middle school and writing is uh, an area that I have grown in. I have gone through the, I think the same pain and angst as any, uh, any literature teacher in middle school, you send them off to write, you want this amazing piece, and then you get it back and you're really scratching your head wondering, okay, what happened here? And the the biggest takeaway is students are going to write more when they have something to write about. It goes back to that discovery. It goes back to allowing them to have a productive struggle. If I tell them what to write about, are they really going to go in depth and write about it? Or they've discovered this thing and now they have a lot to say about it. Um, and so the writing goes hand in hand with what they've been reading. Writing in isolation, we know does not work. But when they've actually gone through and talked about what they've noticed in an image, we've built on that in their reading. And now we're asking what their either thoughts or or how they would analyze this differently they have something to write about now. And we're no longer thinking, wow, this student came in with no background knowledge. We've built that content knowledge throughout this time and now they're able to write about it. Mm-hmm. And writing that, we, we had a good laugh, didn't we, over the kind of writing that is the five paragraph essay. And when you look at every student's looks like it's like patterned or exactly you the just same. Color, you go through with the highlighters and color <laughs> through and you know exactly what's happening. <laughs> And and I'm so glad that we have moved away from that. I do think that is a stretch on our end as educators because it may seem easier. I can look at a five paragraph. I know exactly what's missing. But when I ask my students to write and I don't give any of those parameters, I really have to look into and read their writing. And now my feedback is even personalized. For them. It's pertaining to what they've produced. So it may seem a little bit more time consuming, but it's one of those things where in the long run, it's absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. And that it, the scaffolding and the support comes with the experiences with the text, right? The ability to understand the text, have dialogue with peers about the text, think about the text. So that goes to what you're saying that now they have something to write about and that blank white piece of paper doesn't feel so scary. Absolutely. And I I do think about not just, okay, they're going to high school, but when they get to college, 
it's one of those things where I have seen some, unfortunately, students kind of crumble when they get there like, wait, we're not doing five paragraphs, paragraph essays? No, no, we really want to know what you're thinking and going through that process. So starting that from middle school and they build that throughout their years, by the time they get to upper grades and college, it is just the norm for them. And that's what we want to see. We want to see that automaticity happen in their writing from what they've been reading as well. Mm. And I know you're a proponent of smaller chunks of writing too, right? So what does that, yeah, what does that look like? So the the way I think of small chunks of writing, I do um, equate this to uh, like a HIT workout. So a high intensity interval training. I love that. I absolutely <laughs> think it is the, the most interesting thing. So the way that this works is students are going to They're going to read about a text. They're going to analyze the text and then they're going to write. But this writing is going to be very, very intense. They're going to write for, let's say, 10 minutes and they're writing the entire time. And to start off, yes, it may seem like, wow, 10 minutes is so long. But I promise you at that point, students are going to say, I need more time. I have so much more to write about past 10 minutes. And so they go really, really hard and strong for those 10 minutes. And then we're going to back off. And we're going to go back. We're going to share our ideas. We're going to read some more text and we're going to go in and do this again. And what happens is I'm building stronger writers versus saying we're going to do five paragraphs or pages at a time in between those moments, those uh, moments where my students are not writing, I'm providing feedback. I'm allowing them to have conversations about the items within their writing, allowing them opportunities to change their mm-hmm. ideas and go back and revise that. But know that when we get to this, these 10 minutes, we are going in and we are writing the, the entire time. We're pulling in all of our evidence. The other thing that happens is if I notice that my student or I have a student that just still isn't writing a lot, then I'm going to have a different conversation with that student. Well, let's look at the evidence. Let's look at the information you've been pulling from the text. Where are areas where we can get some more information from? So it does end up shifting the conversation sometimes when I see students that necessarily aren't writing as much. Let's find that area where you can get some more information to write about too. That's interesting because you're talking about the content of the writing right now, right? I didn't hear anything about grammar or capital complete, none of that, right? Like I heard all about their writing about content and ideas. And that's what we want. Yes, the, you know, as a literature teacher, I'd be remiss if I didn't say you know, <laughs> we want good conventions in their writing. Yeah. But we really want the the meat of their writing. What are they thinking? And I really want my students to focus on that. I want students across the country to focus on that versus did I have a capital sentence here? Did I do the proper quotations? Get your ideas on. We can do that during a revision. And that's how we are as writers anyway, Mm. right? We want to get our ideas down and then give ourselves an opportunity to analyze and, and go back and revise. So give students the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I love that because even for myself, and I I know for my students too, I mostly taught third grade, some fifth grade, but I know for my students, even at the younger grades, that I felt like they were not approaching writing because they were worried about getting it correct on the paper. And like the harder part actually was to get your ideas down on the paper. 
Um, so providing those moments ahead of time to help them think through their thoughts and ideas is, is really helpful, right? Absolutely. It is so helpful. Um, and I also go back to the mindset that students may have about writing um, and just in reading in general. And so knowing that I can write about this, there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong answer. And here are my thoughts. I am going to be allowed to revise this. Um, and it's okay to change my answer. That does decrease any type of negativity the student may have about the writing. Mm, that's great kind of coming full circle, right? To what you were talking about at the beginning about like giving kids agency and ownership around their own thinking and, and uh, response to text. Indeed. It, uh, that leads a little bit to another hot topic in middle school, which is motivation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> hot topic is an understatement, I think. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh how, like how like what is motivation? What does it mean to middle school kids? And you know what should middle school teachers be thinking about as it relates to motivation? Yeah, um, for middle school students, I think if you'd asked me this question maybe two years ago, maybe the answer would have been different. Really? So much has changed um, with motivation for middle schoolers. I think before it would have just been, okay, just come in and I want you to be excited about what we're going to learn about. And now it's more than that. It's like, I want you to enjoy this moment, but I want you to find your place in, in this. And, I, and it goes back even to that text selection that students um, encounter in the classroom. Are these texts that my students can find something of themselves in? Or are these just texts that have absolutely nothing to do with um, anything pertaining to their lives, their world, their peers? What would motivate them? Um, from a teacher perspective, I also think about the mindset. And what mindset am I bringing to the table for my students to be motivated? Um, with motivation and I've, you know, I've spoken with hundreds of teachers and, and parents, um, throughout the years and the personalization that happens within the classroom, that's what motivates students the most. Hmm. It's very rare that a student will run into a classroom and say, wow, we're learning about the brain today. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's very rare that happens. Right. Yeah. Um, but the environment that has been set up within the classroom allows for, does it allow for uh, students to be excited about what they're going to learn, whether or not wherever they are in their learning journey? So whether I'm a struggling learner or I'm an advanced learner, is there a place for me to, to learn and grow and be okay in that space? And so I think that that's something that really does um, help and impact motivation. Mm. And how might a teacher go about thinking about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of pull something that you said earlier, right? So when we were talking about students that, um, that are struggling, you mentioned teachers should focus on <clears throat> what can they do versus what can't they do. And it seems to me there's some connection between that and motivation and sort of this classroom culture we're creating. Am I crazy in thinking that? You are not crazy at all. Uh, you're absolutely right. So we think about the classroom culture that we're setting up. Um, 
if I, um, as a teacher or an educator in general, you know, focus on what the students cannot do, what message am I sending my students? When there's a huge emphasis on um, assessments over what, what students are producing or the conversations that they're having, what message am I sending students? And do we want to send a, a message that changes the mindset of you can do this? I'm here to support you. This is how we're going to get through this. Here is um, an area that I know you can grow in. That's the message that's motivating. When we think about anything that we've started to do, some things we've, you know, um, whether it's working out or eating healthy or any of these things, when we start these processes, we are not motivated. Very rare is someone motivated <laughs> to do these things, right? Yeah. But as time goes on and we continue, we go through a, a stage of struggle. If we take that thing away that we weren't motivated to do before, we actually feel a void. And we actually wonder, hmm, I think I may have felt better or I'm yearning for that thing. And that is how we're able to help motivate students. They are going to come into class and some of them may not be motivated at all. But as we go through that mm -hmm. process, we go through the cadence of this is what we um, can do when we look at text. Here's a conversation that we can have. This is how we can write about it. If we took that away from students, they would really, they would honestly say, well, when are we going to write about this? I have so much to say about this. Mm -hmm. We've changed that type and now they're motivated. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um First, I've never taught a middle school classroom, so I can't completely relate to it, but I do know that example that what you just talked us through would resonate with really any student or any human being, right? Absolutely. And I think that's something that we want to remember. They are the future generation, and we were there at one point. Um, it looks different as it should, uh, but when we think about the next steps for them, um, it's gonna take time and motivation. I think there is a little misnomer that we're just going to either have it or we're not. Mm. I think that's something that is also um, taught and sometimes we're just motivated by the environment that we're in. Other people are excited, I wanna get excited too. What are we excited about? And so sometimes those are moments that we can really dive into and, and create that in any classroom. Mm, that's great advice. Um, I love all this so much here for, for us to think about as it relates to middle school. Um, as we're sort of closing up here, I would love for you to give our listeners any final thoughts or suggestions or advice that you might have. Well, I would definitely say to um, our listeners and, and our educators, of course, a huge, a huge thank you. I think for some, um, it's a nice, it's nice to to hear that. And then also take risks. This is this is the time. Whether um, your early grades, your middle school, take risk and be okay with being a little bit uncomfortable because the next generation, this that may be the thing. That may be the thing for them. Um, and so if you find that you're in a, a sequence of lessons that have fallen flat a little bit, spend more time listening to what your students are saying, um, sometimes not saying, to see how can I make a shift or a change in the instruction? How can I allow for more discovery 
and and really take note of that. So I think those are some really great things that I hope educators will will really enjoy. I think that's really great advice. Um, listening is always such a great thing to do, and we forget to do that for our students, especially our middle school students. So thanks for that advice, Camilla. It was so great to have you on. Uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we invite you to join us for our upcoming webinar series, The Science of Reading is for Everyone. Over the next few months, experts including Natalie Wexler, Dr. Lillian Duran, Dr. Jan Hasbrook, and others will share insights about how the science behind how we learn to read can help all students, including emergent bilinguals, middle schoolers, struggling readers, and confident readers. You can register for these webinars at amplify.com backslash soar slash everyone. We're excited to have you join us.